You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. So good morning. Welcome. My name is Brian. I'm part of the teaching team here at the Mission, and uh, it's a privilege to be able to open God's Word to you. Um, seeing them on screen, though, I do have to share, like, um, if you followed, like, the different times that I've spoken, I've often brought our cat into the sermon, even though I can't stand that little critter. But this week's story is really interesting. So uh, as I'm a, I was away at a conference last week and, uh, in Houston, uh, so the day on Sunday when they were leaving to go to Greece, I wasn't there, and they were leaving from our house, and there's a lot of in and out as they, you know, kept loading up the vehicles and such, and so in the midst of that, they somehow left the door open and our inside cat gets out. So I'm coming back from Houston on Tuesday, and, uh, and this thing's like starting to weigh on me because I, we realize the cat is probably out and probably disappeared. The food's not disappearing inside the house. And so I, uh, I get home, and you know it's like 11.30 at night, and I'm thinking, what would my wife do? So I'm out there with a headlamp on going around outside her house looking for this cat. No luck, you know? And the next day, I, I do a walk around before I leave for work in the morning, and uh, and this it, is weighing really heavily on me because as much as I don't really like the cat, I don't really want the cat to suffer, and on top of it, I know I have to look, without my wife there, I have to look as hard as she would look for this cat while she's gone, you know? So there, there's a lot of pressure, you know? And uh, so I went home at lunch that day as well, and I thought, I'm going to do another, you know, walk around our yard, and um, I, we have a fair amount of shrubbery in our yard, and I get over to this one section of the yard, and there's the cat. I scoop it up, bring it inside. Um, my life was better. I won Husband of the Day Award that day, so <laughs> congratulate me on that. So life goes on. So today, we're going to be talking about, though, when we really blow it. I'm sure none of you have ever experienced this before. None of you have done the kinds of things that I've done where I've sinned really badly and then sometimes even lied or tried to deceive or tried to get away from what I'd done and sort of added up on top of it. And it just sort of piles up into this big situation where I'm like defeated, feeling despondent, feeling like this oppressive like cloud hanging over me that I have completely blown it. And I know none of you have ever done that, so you're going to have a hard time relating to this, but you have to trust me, um, it's, it's, how, uh, it's a horrible feeling. And honestly, it lingers for a long time. Like, you can feel defeated in relationships in the future. You can feel defeated as you think back to that. You can feel a sense of shame related to it. But we're going to see a story in Scripture where uh, the author of the passage has had that exact experience happen to him, and we're going to see some things that we can take from that that we can learn what to do when we blow it. So we're continuing our study of the book of Psalms. And I thought that was interesting. Last time I spoke was about six weeks ago. I spoke on Psalm 27 that Taylor quoted at the end of her time. So it's neat how God winds this all together. But today, we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 51. You can uh, turn in your Bibles or phone app or whatever to Psalm chapter 51. It says this in the beginning of it. There's a little like introduction to this. It says, for the choir director, a psalm of David regarding the time Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. 
So before we get into Psalm 51, I want to just sort of remind you of what the historical account is that, that as a prelude to this psalm. So David is king of Israel. And at that time period, when you were king, in the spring of the year, you and the general would take your armies and go and fight your enemy. And this particular spring, David makes the decision not to do what the expected uh, requirement was of him as king. He doesn't go out with his troops, and that might have been the first mistake that he made. And he's standing in his palace, and he's looking out over his city, and he sees this woman taking a bath, and it was Bathsheba. And he looks at her, and he says, oh, she is beautiful. And he doesn't just stop there. He begins to lust after her. And he sends his servants out to uh, bring her back to his palace. And they end up sleeping together. He has sexual relations with her. He commits adultery. And um, just as a reminder in this, I mean, uh, God's design for us as human beings is uh, all sexual activity be in the context of a marriage between a man and a woman. So God, David has offended God. He's broken God's standards at that very moment. So he commits adultery, which just means any sexual activity outside of marriage. And, uh, and lo and behold, he finds out later that she's gotten pregnant. And he doubles down on the sin that he's already done. He says, oh, I can try to fix this. So he calls her husband, Uriah. He was out with the troops. He was a soldier. And he calls him back into the city with the idea that, hey, if I bring him back here, uh, we have a conversation, then I'll go let him spend the evening with his wife, and this will cover up my problem. When Uriah comes back, he uh, actually makes a decision. He said, why should I be enjoying time with my wife? Why should I enjoy the uh, time with my family when the rest of my brothers, my troops, are out there on the battlefront? And so he makes a decision, and he sleeps on the steps of the palace at night. And David wakes up in the morning and realizes that he's been flummoxed by Uriah. So he says, oh, another idea here. So he sends Uriah back to his troops and with a message for his commander. And the message was this, is that when uh, the next time they're in battle, that they, you send your eye right up to the front, where the battle is the fiercest. And when it's, uh, the fighting is fierce, you have the rest of the troops pull back. That's exactly what happens. And Uriah is killed in that moment. So now, now David becomes guilty of murder as well as adultery, as well as deceit, as well as failure to do the duties and responsibilities that he should have. And God sends the prophet Nathan to David and has a message for him. And that message is this story, this allegory that he shares about people with differentiated power. And uh, in, the, in the story, the one, the person with power does something that's wrong. And as David hears the end of the story, he's like, well, that person ought to be punished. And Nathan says to him, you are that person. And David is immediately broken. And so what we're going to see in Psalm 51 is this is David's response. This is him writing this message to the Lord uh, that he, um, in response to this conviction that he's feeling. So let's take a look at Psalm chapter 51, beginning at verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins, 
Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desired honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. What we're going to see in this passage are seven things that we should do when we blow it. Seven things that David sort of demonstrates for us that David does as well. So let's take a look at it, sort of understand what they were. Number one is call on God for mercy. We see this in verse one, right? It says, have mercy on me, O God. So the word mercy means don't give me what I deserve. So what does David deserve? You can actually see this in the historical account. There's some thought that David deserves death for what he's done. We can even argue in today's world, perhaps, particularly that it wasn't just adultery with Bathsheba, that it was actually rape because of the power differential that existed between David and Bathsheba. She was just the wife of a uh, military officer, and he was the king of the whole land. So David deserves incredible punishment. So he recognizes that, and he begins by crying out to God and saying, have mercy on me. So he calls on God for mercy. This is actually fairly frequent in what we call Psalms of Lament, where the psalmist has recognized that he's done something that's sinful or wrong, uh, or that he's under great duress, and he's asking God to give him something that he doesn't deserve. So David begins by saying, uh, calling on God for mercy, have mercy on me. So the first thing we should do when we, are, when we blow it, when we do something incredibly wrong and, and pile it on, is call on God for mercy. We don't want what we deserve. Right? We remember this from the New Testament in uh, Romans 6 where it says the wages of sin is death. And so often the sinful things we do and the cause and effect world we live in have natural consequences as well. And we often don't want to feel what those are. We call on God for mercy. Second thing we are to do is pray for forgiveness. So we see this in verse 2. He says, wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin. The there's a word picture here that relates to the act of forgiveness that would have meant something to the people of that day that probably means less for us today because 
Uh, David wrote this from within the uh, Jewish religious system, a system of sacrifices. And the idea of the sacrifice is that you would uh, take uh, the appropriate sacrifice to the temple. Oftentimes it was a lamb without blemish. And in the act of the shedding of blood, the sacrifice of this lamb, that was the picture of what was necessary for the forgiveness of sins, the covering, the cleansing from sin because of that shedding of blood. And that was a picture of what happened when Jesus Christ died on the cross, right? God's ultimate method and mode of of forgiveness for us happened through Jesus on the cross. So as Jesus hung there on the cross and his blood is shed for us, the sins of the world, your sins, my sins, the sins I did when I blew it, the sins that maybe you did when you'll blow it someday as well, were poured out on Jesus. And his blood covers those sins. It cleanses us in that moment. And so that's the picture that's given here in this, in this verse, uh, verse two. Wash me clean from my guilt. Um, and there are other ways and pictures of forgiveness in scripture, but this particular one relates to this sacrificial system. So when we've blown it, we... Uh, ask, call on God for mercy. We ask for forgiveness. Then the third thing we do is recognize our sin. Verses three and four. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just. Just to give a little bit of explanation, that whole last portion of verse four, it says, you will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just. That is a, a sort of a legal term. And it's the idea of it is to say, you know, if I were in court, my defense attorney would have nothing to say. This is a, it's a open and shut case. It's a done deal. I know I'm guilty. And so that's a little bit of the picture that he's given here. But I think it's really important. I think David chooses the language he does for a real specific reason. He says, against you and you only have I sinned. Because we could look at this story in our world today and say, no, he sinned against Bathsheba. Right? He sinned against Uriah. But I think what's really important to understand is that David recognizes that his sin is ultimately against the Lord. We live in a world today where there's a real denial of any objective moral standard, anything that stands outside of who each one of us as human beings is and calls us to what's right and wrong, calls us to do, be better than we would be otherwise. The tendency in today's world is that all morality comes from within, that we make, get to make our own decisions about what's right and wrong. And you can look at this story and say, hey, listen, if from within, David could have justified this. You know, God wants me to be happy, or I want to be happy, and to be happy, I need to be sexually fulfilled, and, you know, so Bathsheba and I made this decision together. There's nothing wrong with what we did. And Uriah, well, you know, he, he got killed by other soldiers. That wasn't on me, right? There was a, there's a, but David recognizes that there is an objective moral standard. There's something outside of himself that, that says, hey, wait, what you did was wrong. You sinned against me and my standard. So that's what God's saying in that moment, and it's such a message for us today. When we do something wrong, it's not because 
I have a little bit of guilt inside or I just need to revise my own moral code and sort of allow for whatever's just taking place. No, there's an objective moral standard. There's something outside of myself that calls me, calls you to be better than we would be otherwise, to, uh, to recognize what's really right and really wrong. So the third thing that David does here is he recognizes his sin. The third thing we should do is recognize our sin. Number four, recognize the result of what God does, verses seven and eight. That says there, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. So what happens for David when he calls on God for mercy, when he begs for forgiveness, when he recognizes his sin? What's the result of that? God forgives. It's an incredible thing. There's this story of purification that happens in this moment. Some of your translations might talk about a hyssop branch, right, in this passage. And the idea of the hyssop branch was that it was this branch that the priest would have would dip in water. So after the sacrifice had been given on your behalf, after you've been ritually purified and, and forgiveness has been granted, they would dip this uh, branch in water and then flick the water over you as an individual. And that was a symbol of purity. So that's what David is picturing this passage of what's actually happened to him is because he's gone to God, asked for mercy, begged for forgiveness, recognized his sin, God has forgiven him. In, in scripture and other places, we know that when we ask for forgiveness from God, he takes our sins and puts them as far as the east is from the west. It says he actually takes our sins and remembers them no more. So why, when we blow it, do those sins hang over us for a long time? They keep coming back to us on those dark nights at 11 o'clock when we probably shouldn't be doing the things that we're doing. We're suddenly just overwhelmed by our sinfulness and brokenness because of what we had done so many years ago in, in some cases. Because if God has said, I forget your sins, then why do we keep remembering them? So, uh, there's this real picture of what happens at this moment that David has been purified, he's been cleansed. We can experience that same thing when we go through those same steps of asking God for mercy, praying for forgiveness, recognizing our sins. Number five, God wants us to intend to do better. We see this in verses 10 and 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. So when we've blown it, when we've done some horrible things, when the sins have sort of piled up on us and we go through this process of, of asking God for mercy, uh, you know, begging for forgiveness and uh, recognizing our sin and God cleanses us, the last thing he wants is for us to go out there and do the same thing again. Our desire, where we should be, is that we should intend, we should want to do better. And that's what David captures in these verses, right? Um, uh, restore to me the joy. Make me willing to obey you. Number six, we need to recognize that forgiveness leads to praise and testimony. We see this in verses 13 through 15. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. So just so that you're ready for that time when you blow it, because, you know, I know I have, but 
when I've blown it, oftentimes it's in that restoration of going back into being in a right relationship with God, and I reflect on what he's done for me, and I reflect on uh, this new humility that I've developed, of my own brokenness, my own ugliness and my sin, uh, in that process that I, I become much more aware of how great God is, how lowly I am, and how wonderful it, the things that he's done for me are. And what's the response to that? I want to share that with other people. I want to tell other people, hey, listen, this is what God has done for me. Incredible story of forgiveness, incredible story of restoration, incredible story of being made right again with him. That's my story, and I want to share that with others. And when I share that with others, Scripture here says that those rebels will also return to the Lord. But that's not all it says here. Uh, Verses uh, 14 and 15 Uh, talk about praise, right? It says, then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness, or the end of verse 15, that my mouth may praise you. When we reflect on, when we see what God has done for us, our response is praise for him. We don't deserve this. We recognize how great God is, what he's done. He's chosen even in the midst of his power and his glory to restore me to a relationship with him, to restore you to a relationship with him, and that gives me joy and peace. I exhibit it by my praise for him. I exhibit it by my worship for him. And then finally, number seven, we need to recognize what God really wants, verses 16 and 17. He says this, you do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Again, we sort of have to put ourselves back into that Jewish system of sacrifices, but I think we can actually understand this clearly today. So David, the response that might have been expected in this situation when he felt this certain amount of guilt for what he had done is to say, all right, hmm, let's see, what, what sacrifice do I need to do? Oh, I'm just going to take care of it. I can cover this up real quickly with this sacrifice and move on. In our tendency, when we blow it, I got to do something good for the Lord, right? I got to, you know, I got to show a little bit of love for my neighbor. I got to, uh, you know, I, I just overreacted when I was driving and almost, you know, caused a big accident. I got to drive more carefully for a little while. Whatever it is, right, there's this tendency for us to want to sort of do the right thing as a way of making up for what we've done. And sometimes that can be very religious, right, in certain religious traditions. Oh, you're going to do a certain number of Hail Marys to make up for what you've done. You know, there's a certain religious thing that has to be done in order for you to be right with God. But we have to remember the whole purpose of that sacrificial system was to be a picture of what was to happen with Christ. And God's desire was not the sacrifice in and of itself. His desire was for a broken, repentant heart. His desire was to be in right relationship with man. And that sacrifice was just a picture of that, of what made that uh, happen. And we, we can see that because what happens later, it wasn't anything wrong with the sacrifice. We see that particularly in verse 19, right? It says, once you've done this right, once you're restored to relationship with me, then the religious action, the sacrifice is a good thing. It's the same for us. Once we're restored to right relationship with God, those acts of service that we do to others, the loving things that we do as an exhibition of God's love to us, those are good things to do, but they don't make us right with him 
on their own. God's desire is for a broken, repentant heart. And then once that happens, then we live that out through the things, the way we serve others in this world, the way we live out God's love to us. I'll invite the worship team back up, but I just want to talk as we finish here. Again, you may never have blown it, but I have. And these seven things are really important, right? That we ask God, call on God for mercy, that we pray for forgiveness, that we recognize our sin, that we recognize the result of what God does, that we intend to do better, that we forgive, see that forgiveness leads to testimony and praise, and that we recognize what God really wants. Let me close this in a word of prayer. God, as I think back on those times where I've blown it, and sometimes those, those sins just come up, come back to me at times, and I feel so low about myself, and i just so grateful to your word, and so grateful for your mercy, and so grateful for forgiveness, so grateful that you've made a way for us to be forgiven through the gift of your son, Lord. Lord, I just pray that each person here would accept that gift would know the joy and peace that it is to be in right relationship with you, even in the messiness of all that goes on in this world, even the, the reality that we will continue to sin at times, even when we are become a follower of you, that we can continually come back to you, Lord, uh, for forgiveness, and again, experience that joy and peace of being in a right relationship with you. Lord, I just would ask you uh, to... Uh, allow each person that's here in this congregation to have had that experience, Lord, to have had the joy and know the joy of that. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.